0: Today's programming includes, first, a conversation with Nihal Mehta, general partner of ENYAG Ventures, followed by Entrepreneur Pitches. So I will um, give you more details on the Entrepreneur Pitches in a bit, but let's begin with Nihal. Welcome, Nihal, to the program.
1: Thanks for having me.
0: So, Nihal, let's uh, get you acquainted with our audience Tell us about yourself, about ENIAC Ventures. Give us a little bit of context.
1: Sure. So I've been uh, an entrepreneur my whole career. I started in 1998, so 20 years ago, actually, while in college. Um, And uh, since then, I've started five five startups, uh, invested in almost 200, of which about – Uh, two-thirds or close to that are through uh, our venture fund that we started about nine years ago called ENIAC Venture. The startups that I uh, founded and ran were mostly in the mobile software space, mobile marketing and mobile advertising, uh, selling into the Fortune 1000, so large brands, And uh, a number of them were acquired. A number of, of, of them failed. Uh, obviously, you learn the most from the failures. Uh, we say, as investors, now we have a, a lot of scar tissue uh, and muscle memory um, that makes us more empathetic, uh, you know, to to, to to founders as we're founders ourselves. Um, and for better or worse, we still feel like we're founders when we invest in a company. So uh, we tell we tell our our founders that, you know, you now have a co-founder uh, without the title and the equity, but uh, we're going to do whatever it takes to, to make your
0: business a success. So tell us a bit about inia Ventures. What is the investing focus? Where do you operate out of? How big is the fund? What size checks do you like to write?
1: Yep. So we're operating out of our fourth fund. We're about a third of the way through it. Uh, it's a $100 million fund that we announced last March uh, or last April, uh, 2017. Um, you know, we started, I mentioned a lot of companies I founded were in the mobile software space. I actually met my three partners at as engineers in undergrad at the University of Pennsylvania over 20 years ago. And they all had similar experiences founding and operating companies also in the mobile software space. And so the focus of, of the first funds were in and around mobile. So mm-hmm. historically about half of our portfolio is enterprise half is consumer um but uh you know post iPhone Android uh even pre we thought the most the largest opportunities and, and we were right we're in and around mobile now with fund 4 we're very deliberate about expanding the strategy you know the mobile internet is now the internet uh, and mobile is completely ubiquitous. And so, you know, while a lot of the companies we do invest in have mobile components or mobile only, you know, we, we're we looking more broadly. And, you know, I think we're very focused on stage. So we're, we're seed stage. We're the mm-hmm. round before the Series A. Our job is to write a million to million and a half dollar check and really help the company get to a great Series A. Uh, we have, according to many third-party uh, publications, uh, one of the best records in getting companies from seed to A in the shortest time with the best A investors, and so we're, we're very proud of that. That that goes, I think, into us acting like a co-founder of our of our investments. Um, so we're very Can you double-click down
0: for me, uh, Nihal, to um, the point about seed? What is your definition of seed? What uh, what needs to be in the venture uh, to for you to qualify for this to qualify as a seed investment for your uh, judgment?
1: Yeah, that, that's a great question. You know, typically the team has been built out uh, and there's a product prototype. There's some usage on the product, so. If it's a B2B product, there's revenue, um, some revenue, not a lot, just some. We want to make sure there's revenue flowing through the pipes. And um, if it's a consumer product, then, you know, there's some user data. And I think that's really important for us because we want to definitely reference customers, Um, Mm -hmm. you know, when we do diligence and, you know, the product is far along that there are customers on the product now is definitely pre-product market fit um so you know the product is not flying off the shelves by itself um and the founders are still pivoting and tweaking and iterating on the product to make Mm -hmm. it stick and so that's that's our job is to really get it through product market fit and raise the series a but at, at the stage that we invest in there's the team has been built out the product is prototype is there um And the founders need capital to just accelerate their iteration of the product. Uh, Typically, these rounds are typically these rounds are three, two to $3 million now. Um, You know, this would have been called a series A five, six years ago. Now it's seed. Um, And there's actually a whole cohort of capital right before us called pre-seed. And that's kind of when we started investing those were those rounds you know the first kind of 250 million dollars so entrepreneurs are raising pre-seed now from angels friends and family pre-seed funds Um, and typically that's helping them build the team helping them build the prototype and once they have that and they have some customer traction they'll go and raise the seed which is that two to three million dollar round that we like to lead um, so
0: Anil, I then, will tell you this mm-hmm. that in all the conversations that we've had, and we've had hundreds of investor conversations, the the, mm-hmm. the uh, terminology is is even more segmented, and and this, the yeah, yeah. progression is friends and family, pre seed, seed, post seed, pre series A, series A, and based on what you're describing, yeah, think, you're more in the pre series A kind of ballpark than seed.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, obviously the nomenclature is a little subjective and it also changes kind of every month. <laughs> um, but, you know, in, in general, um, we are, you know, we're the round, we're the big, we're the first institutional round, the round before the Series A. Um, so and, mm-hmm.
0: so you, you mentioned about uh, B2B, you're looking for revenues. Are you also looking for revenues in B2C? How do you, Mark the stage in B two C.
1: Yeah, typically the consumer businesses we're investing in have no revenue uh, at the seed stage. Um, mm-hmm. You know how how we analyze them and and you know how we do diligence on them and how we ultimately invest in consumer companies are dictated by things like user engagement. Um, you know we want to we want to make sure that. Consumers are coming back. There's some semblance of a viral coefficient. That consumers are inviting other users are inviting other users. That's starting to happen. Uh, That there's some uniqueness to the product that can't be found elsewhere. Um, So, you know, definitely look at consumer businesses through a different lens. Uh, Of course, you know, there needs to be at the end of the day, a business model. To monetize the business, you know, typically consumer businesses are monetized by subscription or by advertising or by virtual goods, but we don't need to see actual revenue. We just need to, you know, see a plan and a vision that eventually they will monetize. But, you know, at seed stage, consumers, it's very, you know, it's a lot of it's a gut instinct in terms of obviously founding and creating, but uh, but investing in it's just very early without a lot of data points,
0: to your point. Right. Yeah. And, and it's... Uh... It's difficult to con- uh, convince, that, convince investors that it's going to monetize at some point because there's, there are so many unknowns that in a seed stage from B2C venture. We see entrepreneurs struggling with that. I think B2B is easier at some level.
1: Yeah, I think it goes in waves. You know, I think looking at the past two years, like 2017 and 2018, the majority of our investments were definitely – enterprise, B2B. We think there's more opportunities today in enterprise. I mean, another point to make is, you know, the big incumbents, Google, Facebook, Apple, Amazon are executing extremely well. You know, they're retaining it. Yeah, very, very well. Mm -hmm. They're retaining... It's
0: definitely the age of the incumbents these days on the B2C side.
1: Well, yeah, for for consumer, and so for that reason, like, actually consumer-focused venture funds are actually going down in size because they realize that you know, gone are the days of like the Instagram, WhatsApp, YouTube, billion-plus acquisitions because
0: yeah.
1: you know Google, Facebook are retaining the best engineers. They'll just you know try to build it, if not buy it, before it gets big enough. And so the return profile of these startups go down, and so you have to have a smaller fund size to actually return your fund. And so I think I think on the enterprise side, there's just so many more opportunities. You know, you have yeah yeah uh, enterprise from the easy. SaaS. side. On the SaaS side, you're you know Salesforce, SAP, Oracle, Adobe, all competing for, you know, the Martech stack or the CRM stack, and there's still a huge gaps um, where entrepreneurs can grow very very quickly. Um, so yeah, we're excited. You know, we've done a lot of enterprise, but you know that being said, I mean, you probably saw the stat on Facebook recently. You know, 40% of millennials have removed Facebook from their phone, and you know, Snapchat is, is, is not doing well either. I think there's a real opportunity for, you know, very large breakout consumer unicorns over the next few years. And so, you know, we're definitely keeping our eyes peeled there as well.
0: Yep. Yeah. Now, what is the geographical focus of your funds?
1: Yeah, so we are uh, geography agnostic. Uh, our headquarters is San Francisco. Um, but we have a large office in New York as well. So we're, we're bi coastal. Um, but we invest anywhere in North America. You know, our networks okay. are in North America. So that's where, mm-hmm. you know, we can help accelerate companies. Um, yeah. how it breaks down over the past fund is about a quarter Bay Area, about a quarter New York City, about a quarter Boston, uh, and then about mm-hmm. a quarter other. And other, we're seeing markets like L.A., Salt Lake City, Austin, uh, Vancouver, Seattle, um, you know, all, all over the country. And so, you know, I think that 25% is probably going to grow faster than the others. Um, but, um, but it's pretty broadly, um, you know, spread out across the country. It's getting more and more broad.
0: So let's uh, talk about some of the highlights of your portfolio. And uh, what I like to do is to give our audience a bit of an insight into how you think about investments. So talk about some of the case studies and give us some feel for why it attracted you. What was it? What was in the venture? What, what were they doing that really attracted you?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. So, Uh, We were lucky very early to uh, actually a a great team, a great full-stack engineering founding team. One of our very first investments ended up selling uh, almost 10 years ago to AirBed and Breakfast, now Airbnb. So we're lucky to be a shareholder uh, by virtue of that that acquisition. Um, But, you know, I think one thing that's reflective about that company is the team I mentioned is full stack. So the founding team could actually build and ship product by themselves. And I think that's one thing that we definitely look at um, within the founders is that there's a technical co-founder and a business co-founder typically. So there's more than one founder. They can actually build and ship product by themselves. You know, ultimately they'll raise capital and they'll hire people better than them. But in the beginning, it's really important for them to build and ship and iterate very quickly by themselves. Um, mm-hmm. we like multiple co-founders, you know, building a startup is very, very hard. We know it firsthand, uh, you know, many people listening to this, uh, feel the pain every day. And so having somebody, you know, to bounce ideas off of, to give a hug to, to get a hug from, that's incredibly important during this journey. And so we like, you know, more than one founder, um, we like that they're technical. We also like that if they've actually done this before mm-hmm. together uh and either tasted a little bit of success before together or even failed before together because they had been through the peaks and valleys of entrepreneurship together and yeah. st- they still want to work well, and they still want to work together and so we've kind of de-risked that a little bit you know the number one killer of startups at early stage is founder infighting and so if you can you know de-risk that by you know looking for working history and especially when times are tough then that's that's what we prefer. Um, another case study, based on all of those things that I just said, is a company called Boxed B O X E D. The uh, founding mm-hmm. team actually sold a company called Astro Astroape to Zynga uh, and left Zynga uh, to start Boxed. Uh, we led the seed investment in 2012, um, so six years ago. Um, they just announced uh, they raised a 110 million dollar round and. Um, you know they're growing very quickly. They are uh, essentially like a Sam's Club or a Costco, a bulk of goods direct-to-consumer e-commerce company uh, without yeah. the membership fees. So you can you can buy your paper towels, your toilet paper, and, uh, and if you don't, then you should uh, from 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 Box. And you know the team is was full stack. Uh, they did it before. They had a small taste of success. They wanted to go bigger. Um, and so that kind of checks those boxes, right? Multiple founders, full stack, they can build and ship between the founding teams. They've done it before together. Um, of course, what they built, what they're building box, is very different than Astra Ape, although they're using a lot of the same game mechanics, that they learned at Zynga. Um, but it doesn't matter. You know, I, I, you know the, it, 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 it's 90% about team at our stage. And so mm-hmm. I think that's what we look for. So, that, you know, those are, those are a couple examples. Uh, we have many, many incredible companies that have very similar profiles. You know, happy so let to, me, to actually, more.
0: based on what you said, I want to provide some commentary to our audience um, about the sure. team issue just based on what I heard you say. So you're, you're hearing Nihal talk about multiple founders, multiple co-founders, and he's talking about a full-stack team. So the team needs to be completely built out before um, they're willing to fund this company in the seed stage. Now, those two are kind of uh, mutually dependent. Um, you can only have a full-stack team if you have multiple co-founders because if you have to hire people and build out a team, you cannot get, at that stage with that little resource in terms of capital, you can't complete a team by hiring people. So that's just something to note that um, you know, certain investors, Nihal is, is representative of that investor class, would only invest in full-stack teams at the seed stage, and the only way to get to that is with multiple co-founders
1: yeah there's one uh you know other addition i just add to that which is you know in many cases you, you still have solo founders right but they are they are technical so they can build and ship the product themselves um yes. and they have and they have some business acumen but um they're definitely technical so you know in those situations you know if you can build and ship if you can code uh, or you're technical, if you're building a robotics company and you're a roboticist, um, then that's okay. You know, you can hire business people around you after you raise money. Um, but you, you yourself are full stack, essentially. So you could have a solo founder that's full stack as well.
0: Okay, that's actually a very good elaboration. So we get this question a lot is like, are solo founders fundable? And um, And I think generally, investors prefer not to fund solo founders except in the case that you're talking about where the solo founder can build, uh, you know, businesses by himself or herself. And then you can flesh out the team after funding.
1: Yeah. I think, I think the dependencies are key, right? Like, yeah, to your point, as long as they can do it by themselves, if they have to outsource to an agency to build the product, you know, if they have to outsource to any. Other dependency at that early stage, um, it's much harder to get off the ground. Um, you want you want founders to eat, sleep, breathe their business, and be able to ship on the weekends late it at night. Depends
0: on what is the product, you know? right? If you're talking about e-commerce, mm-hmm. for example, yep. um, you know e-commerce you can outsource to any number of outsourcing agencies for the core platform, and then it depends on really what is what is it that you're selling what is the product, especially if it's a unique product and it's a merchandising-based venture and the founder's core competency is merchandising, which was the case with the the founder of Nasty Gal. Um, I mean, they ended up mucking up that whole story, but but she was doing very well on her own. Yeah. So um, let's talk about... What you are seeing in your deal flow right now, so, and this is—I'm trying to get to—what are the trends in the market right now? And, and from your vantage point, I'm sure you see thousands of deals per year. What, what strikes you? What's popping out as trends?
1: Sure. So yeah, you know, we see about five to six hundred deals a month uh, that come into the partnership. We end up, by the way, investing in about one per month is our pace uh so the Mm -hmm. funnel gets narrow pretty quickly um you know these days um i'd say about a quarter of our portfolio is something we call um hard tech so um you know we've done a um we have a software for autonomous private aircraft uh autopilot Mm -hmm. hasn't been upgraded in decades and so this is you know the next version of that for uh, eventually autonomous transport, uh, in in the air, we have, uh, an AV company as well for cars. That helps predict objects, um, in front of the cars so that they can avoid them and they can, uh, be able to move. Around in, in a, in a safe matrix, um, we have also, uh, autonomous, uh, software that powers autonomous cargo ships. So we, we, we say we have like a sea and air autonomous strategy, both software and hardware, mm-hmm. um, and that's kind of, and that's kind of hard tech. We're, we're seeing a lot more uh, of those robotics companies. Um, and so that's, that's one area um, also leveraging a similar theme in, in, in general automation. Uh, we're mm-hmm. seeing a lot of software staff um, that's working on automating the enterprise. Uh, we have one company that's not announced yet, um, it's in a category that's probably one of the hottest in enterprise SaaS, the RPA space, Robotic Process Automation. And mm-hmm. RPA uh, essentially enables any enterprise, Fortune 1000, for example, to automate you know a bulk of their manual labor, so data entry, um, pulling data from disparate systems, Traditionally, these jobs were outsourced through BPO to India yeah. or what have you. Now you have software that uses computer vision that literally watches what employees are doing and then mm-hmm. automates, those, automates those processes. Actually, the fastest-growing enterprise company in the world is in this category, a company called UiPath. Um oh. That uh, that just announced a you know a, a raise from Sequoia three billion dollars, um, but in two years you know they're already at a multi hundred million dollar run rate, um, and so that's in that category robotic process automation. And I think the two things I just spoke about kind of ro- robots in hardware and in software again play into that general trend of automation. Um, we're also seeing a lot in fintech and insurance. I think uh, there's a lot of disruption happening with traditional b2c banks and the way that millennials um you know spend money uh save money and so they need new interfaces and new user experiences than just the traditional banks Uh, also all the infrastructure behind banking and insurance companies um, are are being disrupted because they're incredibly inefficient and so we're seeing a lot of b2b companies uh, you know also playing in the fintech space Um, Mm -hmm. We like, we say we like unsexy industries, you know, I'm looking right now at a, at a, at a construction company, uh, that's doing, mm-hmm. uh, storing construction history on the blockchain. Um, mm-hmm. and I know that, I know there's a, a lot of buzzwords and when people say, oh yeah, we're using blockchain, you know, more than not, you can say, you probably don't need to use blockchain for this. Uh, but there are some really interesting native use cases of blockchain that we're excited uh, to learn about and invest in. Um, and so, th- you know, those are just kind of very top of mind. This is deal flow from this week um, okay. that, we're, uh, that we're excited very about. Very
0: interesting. Very interesting. I'm actually uh, – it's, it's something that, that has come up in some of the talks that I've given recently about this whole automation thing, right? Um, I mean, India's development to a very large extent – dependent uh depended on this massive bpo industry and i think that's going to go away in the next uh, decade or two
1: yeah i mean i think in general any human commoditized action is being being replaced by machines uh and, yeah. and i think for the Absolutely. next few decades the next few decades ai is is, is augmented intelligence so it's actually working, pairing with humans to make our jobs a lot easier uh, before it potentially disrupts industries. And, you know, people thought the industrial revolution would uh, would eliminate, you know, uh, categories of jobs. It, It, in fact, created brand new jobs and ended up increasing the total number of jobs. And so, I think there's an argument um, around AI and automation, you know, are we looking at mass disruption? Are we looking at uh, augmentation? I think it's going to be augmentation before disruption. But, um, you know, it's it's almost it's a theme you can apply to anything. You know, if you when well, you walk down the street,
0: yes, that's a that's a much longer discussion. But I'll just kind of say my. <laughs> My assessment is that this is going to be a massive disruption in the long run and it's going to be a species level disruption. So, folks, those of you who are yes. interested in this topic, you can go uh, to the blog, the 1M by 1M blog, and read Man and Superman. And we're having lots of discussions on this topic on that series. Feel free to discuss. Feel free to, if you have guest posts that you want to contribute on this topic, you're very welcome to do that. Nihal, I have a one last question for you before you run off. Is uh, sure. about unicorns. Um, Are you Mm -hmm. chasing unicorns? What is your assessment of Mm -hmm. the dynamics of the investment climate right now? Because, as you said, you like unsexy industries, and the truth is there are lots of opportunities to build great businesses in some of these unsexy industries by being capital efficient, and you can still build good, good sizable businesses with less money and sell them for smaller exits, but that's a different type of uh, venture investing
1: yeah I mean I think you know for us, we invest in about 40 companies in every fund, and every investment needs to have the potential to reach a billion dollar market cap um, so it needs to reach a unicorn threshold to uh, have the potential to reach that to be able to return the fund so you know we're every investment that we make you know we we like to think that it it, it has potential to become a unicorn. Now okay. that being said, of of, four, of forty companies, probably only three to five will get there, uh, and and the vast majority, thirty five, will not. Um, but that's you know that's how the these funds typically are constructed. Um,
0: yeah. Well, it's a traditional venture capital e- model.
1: E- exactly. You know, I I say uh, also when entrepreneurs shoot for the stars, they often land on the moon.
0: Um, <laughs>
1: And, and so you and you want to make the trajectory. You want to invest in companies that have this massively ambitious trajectory, uh, because you know obviously things change, uh, things twist and turn, things pivot. But if they're that ambitious and if they have that much acceleration coming off the start, then you know they're probably going to end up in a in, in a decent place, even if they fail. So. Um, that's, Not necessarily
0: you know, the difference between ambition and recklessness. And we've seen, we have a series on the <laughs> blog by overfunding and that, that yeah. is also phenomenon.
1: Yeah, no, that, that, that's definitely true. And we've had our share of those as well. Um, but, uh, but yeah, we're definitely, you know, we're, we're definitely unicorn hunting with every investment, uh, okay. to, 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 to your question.
0: Fantastic. Well, great, uh, conversation, Nihal. Thank you for coming. And, uh, We'll uh, catch up later.
1: Thank you so much for having me. It was a pleasure.